When we're thinking of how we use water for irrigation, we need to think about what is the value to our community? Are farms important to us or is my backyard lawn more important? Welcome to Kelowna Talks, where we explore the why behind the decisions that shape your city. Together, we open the curtain and dig deep into current issues, plans, and policies that come out of City Hall. Thanks for joining us as we talk about Kelowna and the topics that matter to you. Hi, everyone. I'm Bob Evans, Partnership Director at the City of Kelowna and host of our Kelowna Talks podcast. I acknowledge that our community is located on the traditional, ancestral, unceded territory of the Silks, Okanagan people. Well, today we're talking about water. It's a tricky subject in the Okanagan because we are blessed with this large, beautiful lake, and yet in the summer, we often have drought conditions. Water is something that uh, most of us take for granted in our day-to-day lives. I certainly know I do. Open a tap and it's available, clean and safe. But for many cities, water is fast becoming a precious and dwindling resource. Uh, One recent example is uh, Cape Town in South Africa that came within days of becoming the first major city in the world to actually run out of water. And slightly closer to home, California and Nevada has suffered extreme droughts in recent years. So, what is our water situation and how can we get people to conserve more water so that we're not in that type of perilous situation? So today we're talking with Kevin Van Vliet, our utility services manager about the water situation in Kelowna and to a certain extent the valley. He oversees our drinking water, our wastewater, the landfill and water quality. Welcome, Kevin. Thank you. So, Kevin, we like to start these sessions uh, getting to know a little bit about yourself, uh, not just the job. So, tell us a little bit about yourself when you're not uh, overseeing our city's utility systems. Well, when I'm uh, when I'm not at work, I'm home with my family. I've got a couple of uh, late teenage boys now. We're uh, getting near the finishing high school and empty nesting. Um, I enjoy uh, getting out on the water on my kayaks. I don't do it anywhere near enough. Most of the time I seem to be working on the honeydew list in the yard, but uh, those are some of the things I enjoy is certainly getting out on the water. Oh, good. Well, that kind of fits with your job a little bit, I guess. You can maybe do some inspections when you're floating around the lake or? Yeah, I got to find a way to do that on work time, I yeah, suppose. Okay. And then... well, let's, let's, we'll send a memo to Doug together after this one. So um, I love stats. So we'll start off with a good one. Figures from the Okanagan Basin Water Board show that on average, Okanagan residents use 675 liters of water per person per day year round in and around their homes. Uh, to me, that's absolutely staggering. This is more than twice the Canadian average of 330 liters and much higher than most other countries. Yet the Okanagan has the lowest per person water availability in Canada. Those are those are kind of disturbing. How how are we using so much water? Like how how do we how do we get there and what causes that and what can you what can you help me understand about that, Kevin? Well, yeah, we could probably spend a day just peeling the onion back on stats and stuff. If mm-hmm, you like stats, mm-hmm. maybe we'll do that in another time. But the fact that we have a very dry climate. You know, you mentioned it's one of the driest climates in Canada, right? We yes. get less than 400 millimeters of rain a year. And the fact that people like green lawns and and we have um, historically or, or a culture of having a lot of greenness around us is, is what's driving that water use, right? So uh, lawns are really thirsty plants. We tend to see a lot of cedar trees and, and cedar hedging, which provides a really nice green wall. And you see those going into new developments all the time. And they're incredibly thirsty yes, as well, are. right? They're yes. they're not native to this kind of climate. And as a result, 
we have to put a lot more water on them to keep them alive than we would you know, on the coast, mm-hmm. for example, right mm-hmm. where, where they're more of a native plant. So we could use a lot less water if we were more trying to live our lives or certainly our yards and our private spaces a little bit more attuned to what the local climate is. Xeriscape, as a lot of people would call it, right? Yeah, no, fair enough. We, you know, we've done multiple surveys at the city of Kelowna over the years and, uh, you know, we have various people writing and so on. And, uh, you know, water conservation, water restrictions is certainly one of the, I guess, let's call it a hot button with, uh, with Kelowna residents. And, um, I have a quote here. We live in a huge lake. We have lots of water. What's yes. wrong? What's wrong with that statement? Well, it, it is certainly misleading, right? And, you know, if you want to look at, uh, an example of where that didn't work out so well. Look at Lake Powell or Lake Mead in the U.S., mm-hmm, where those mm-hmm. absolutely massive reservoirs are down over a hundred feet, right? Just huge volume of water. So the challenge with our lake and looking at it is there's only a, a small amount that goes into the lake every year, right? And so we have to be cognizant of how much we take out of the lake and make sure that we don't exceed what goes into it, right? When we have to leave some of the some of the water that goes into it, we have to leave for the fish in Okanagan River downstream, and we have to make sure that there's enough released as well. So that is our limit. It's not the fact that we have this massive lake. If we withdraw more than goes in every year, the, that lake level will continue to drop, like they see in in Lake Mead and and other places. And then it becomes very very difficult to ever get that back up. We rely on the lake for our recreation. Right, uh, fish rely on the lake and and uh, laying eggs around the foreshore. So it is very important that we keep the lake at that full uh, or near full normal level. And a lot of people people don't understand that we don't control that. The city does not control the the, the water level. That's right. That's a provincial authority. That's right. Yeah. But you know, even if if we start mining the lake and it starts to drop, there mm-hmm. there isn't enough or there won't be enough to go south of of Okanagan, uh, down Okanagan River, right? Right, right. So we have to use less than what goes into the lake every year. And being a dry climate, that isn't a huge amount. Well, it's probably a concept a lot of people don't think about is that balancing act and the fact that it's a limited resource. And they look at a lake and they see all the, you know, all the beautiful water and the wonderful depth of our lake and the clarity of it. And it just has that perception of an unlimited resource. And uh, I guess the question is, how do we, you know, how do we work on changing that perception? I wasn't thinking this whole podcast is going to be about necessarily just water conservation, but it's just, it's such an important topic for us when, when it's, you know, 38 degrees out today. Yeah. And, and, you know, when we think about the lake, I think we, it really helps us just to think about water holistically, you know, as you say, right? Like we're relatively unique in Kelowna where we are living in the whole life, the, the water cycle, right? So the rain falls, what we do to make sure that it stays clean in the creeks and, and before it gets to the lake, what we do to make sure that it's protected, you know, uh, on our streets, because a lot of the water running off the streets is running into the lake really matters because what goes into the lake, ultimately we play in, we play on and we drink. Right. So it's really important for us to, to think holistically as, as that water as a precious resource, not just for irrigation, but also how we treat it, what we put down the pipes, what we put down our drains, what we put in our catch basins, right? We're living in that cycle. So, so whatever we put down there, we're going to have a little molecule or two eventually in our glass at some point in time. So we've got to be conscious of that. Well, you talked about irrigation. So that's, uh, also on my list uh, that, uh, many folks are quick to point out that uh, agriculture in the city is still the agricultural fields, orchards, vineyards around us still water regularly. And uh, 
in the city itself and parks and our open spaces. And therefore, residential watering restrictions are hypocritical. But actually, residential watering is far and away the greatest burden on our water system. Is that correct? Well, again, if you get into stats, it's a little bit difficult, right? But we have to remember that farms and irrigating farms, they're producing food, right? They're producing jobs. So that is an important part of our economy. That's also an important part of our life, right? So when we're thinking of how we use water for irrigation, we need to think about what is the value to our community of of what those irrigation plantings and stuff are, right? right? Are farms important to us or is my backyard lawn more important? So it depends on the person you talk to on any given day. So yeah, that's I right. Mean, I mean, that's not, you know, obviously a well-balanced uh, approach or statement, but it's, uh, it's, it's reality sometimes on the telephone calls we get inside city hall. That's right. But most people, when we talk to them, really value the, the nature of agriculture in our communities, the green space, the vineyards on the hills, that's part of why they move here, right? That's important. That's what created, um, that's what created our city. Exactly. Yeah. Right. And so those, those are important and that's also regulated, right? So farms aren't allowed to use whatever they want. They have limits amount for each farm. They have a limited amount of water that they're allocated. If they exceed that, depends on the water provider, but certainly if they're a Kelowna utility provider uh, and many others, they start to pay uh, big premiums if they exceed their allotment of water. So they're regulated as well. It's not just single family homes or or residential homes that are regulated on how much water they can use. Well, and I guess uh, hopefully the, the industry is evolving and maturing um, in terms of the equipment they use and um, monitoring and measuring uh, you know, waterfall and rainfall and then adjusting their irrigation systems and so on. I, again, it's going to take time, but I, I would hope there's an evolution in that, both from the agricultural sector as well as the residential areas. Absolutely. Yes. No, and, and we're seeing that, right? You know, we see a lot more drip irrigation systems, things that are much more efficient, uh, a lot fewer the really heavy overhead sprinklers that, you know, in that, that are running in the day when, when water evaporates a lot faster. Um, so farms are becoming a lot more efficient than they were 20 or 30 years ago as well. So. Okay. That's good. So we've had all this cold, wet weather for the spring here in Kelowna. And I'm just wondering, does that, uh, does that help our overall water outlook or can you help me understand that? Oh yeah, absolutely. Certainly. It certainly helps for this year. Right, as far as not being in a water shortage problem, even if we end up with a hot, dry for the rest of the summer, most of the water, you know, we have a lot of water stored in the upper watershed. We know that the lake went a little bit above full pool. Those all help to make us a normal water uh, supply year. So we don't have a shortage. One of the things here in the Okanagan is it's usually a longer term, multi year drought that's going to start to see us have real problems. Yep. Right. So um, it's always, what happens in the winter, how much snow we get, how much snow pack, how much water goes into the lake and where is it all stored that kind of defines how much water we have for the next summer. So even last year with the heat dome, we had a fair amount of water, you know, in storage and can get through the heat dome. And we can usually, certainly in Kelowna and for our customers, we can get through a, a hot, dry year. It's multiple hot, dry years in a row, which is what they're seeing in California, for example, after 18 or 20 years of drought, that really starts to add up. Climate change is happening though. We need to start changing our water use to prepare ourselves for that inevitable climate change. We're starting to see it, you know, like we did with the heat dome last year. We're mm -hmm. certainly seeing it in Europe right now. We're seeing it in the Western Southwest US. Climate change models predict for us hotter, drier summers, which is going to mean 
more water use and more water demand for irrigation, right? Mm -hmm. It's going to be a lot more evaporation. People are going to want to water a lot more. The crops are going to need a lot more. So we need to start preparing for that. Start, you know, on, on the optional planting, let's start planting things that don't require quite as much water. And there's two real drivers in, um, that people need to remember. The first is the water supply, making sure there's enough. Um, and then the second one is the delivery mechanism, right? So our pipes are designed to, to deliver a certain amount of water at the peak times. If that amount of water or that demand goes up because of, you know, hotter, drier summers, we're going to have to invest an awful lot of money into bigger pumps, bigger pipes. People want to have their water rates be reasonable and low, right? And so that's also a motivator to use water more conservatively. Money's, money's always a motivator for people. Yeah. You know, we were talking about Las Vegas and I, apparently under a new state law in Las Vegas, they're banning all grass lawns and mandating their removal. Do you think we'll ever get there here or, well, yeah, what does that, what does that look like if, if we're, I always like to talk about standing on a mountaintop uh, 20 years from now, looking around Kelowna, are we still going to see lawns? I certainly hope we never get to the point where we have to mandate removal of lawns and stuff. It, um, that's an act of desperation or certainly is a symptom of having a real sure, shortage and sure. a real problem, right? People love grass. They love our green parks. So, you know, from a tourism perspective, right? People love coming to city parks, being able to sit on the lawn underneath the trees and the grass, mm -hmm. et cetera. So there's a lot of value certainly in having some communal areas, which is green, right? There's also value in, in the, and an importance in the sports fields, actually having green softish turf um, because it prevents injuries, right? Mm -hmm. You get a lot more, mm -hmm. if, if we let our sports fields go brown, we get a lot more broken arms and broken wrists, especially for, and people can't play rugby and football on them, for example. But we take a different approach. We try to encourage people in part, especially on the residential water side through our pricing to be more proactive in, in using less water thirsty landscaping right the lawn's probably one of the, the one of the most in our tiered pricing if you want to have a lawn you can but you're going to pay more for that water right if you want to have a if you want to have a lawn the, have a small lawn just because of the consumption you mean yeah it doesn't you, we don't uh charge by item we charge by consumption just to be clear yeah. we, we charge by consumption exactly right so if you want to have a if you want to irrigate a vast a large area of green lawn it's going to cost a fair amount of money because it's going to use a lot of water right so our pricing prioritizes indoor water use, right? Some of the cheapest water we have is for indoor water use for your basic health and a little bit of outdoor irrigation. And then the more you irrigate outside, the more you're, you will pay per cubic meter of water. Now that said, in Kelowna, we still have some of the cheapest water in Canada. Oh, do we? Okay. So, so, and one of the main, yeah, yeah. And one of the main reasons for that, and gets back to my earlier point about protecting our watershed, protecting the lake is we're not filtered, right? So we have, and as long as we can keep Okanagan Lake as clean as it is, we will be able to take drinking water from it, treat it with UV, ultraviolet, mm -hmm. uh, and chlorine, and and distribute it. That is way cheaper than filtering it, right? So, so that is a motivator as well to make sure that we watch what we do for everything that's going down the drain and going down the catch basin and everything else to protect the lake water quality. Okay. And that's good for all of us to remember. I, as you're talking, I'm thinking, got to ask this question, whether you can answer it or not is what's, what's the worst offender in Kelowna? Like how bad is it? Like, are, do we have one or two or three or five or 50 outliers or are we all as a group 
you know, need to raise our, our level of consciousness when it comes to water conservation? Or what's your take on that? I would say as a group, we really need to raise our general water consciousness. That also helps with the peer pressure, right? Like if, if everybody's watering a little less or, or as more and more people are putting in, you know, more xeriscape plants, more, more lavender, for example, and removing cedar hedging and mm-hmm. replacing it with some lavender or some pine or something like that, um, it becomes more of the norm and, and more people are willing to do it. So that's a, a good collective thing. And having a little bit of brown in your lawn isn't, shouldn't be seen as bad. You know, there are some neighborhoods no, where, where you're the pariah if you got some brown lawn or the yeah. odd dandelion. And it's like, yeah. no, we have to move away from that. Yeah. Right? You can go to some places on the coast, which used to be rainforest, but they're like on the island in particular, right? But the water is so precious that the lawns go brown and that's the norm. And you're kind of seen as a pariah if you've got a green lawn. We can't really get there here in the Okanagan because it's so dry. If you don't water your lawn at all, it'll die and blow away. But we do need to a, a bit of a cultural shift, right? That the green rainforest kind of green and rainforest kind of plantings aren't effective here, right? They don't really belong here if we want to, you know, sustain ourselves for the long term. Do we police that? You know, so if there's a couple of prolific offenders when it comes to water use, um, or basically it's just a, you know, pay as you go. So if somebody wants to spend $50,000 on their residential watering every year, we let them do that? Or how does that, how does that work? We have tools in our bylaws to, to stop someone who, from being an excess or a waster, okay. right? Okay. So we certainly can, can um, deal with a property that runs their garden hose down the, down the gutter just because they're too lazy to turn it off, for example. Pricing, you know, our, our top tier pricing at over $2 a cubic meter is about four times the, the rate at the beginning, is a huge deterrent. And most people, that affects their behaviors enough. Okay, so as you get more and more use, as your meter goes up, it just the rate changes. The rate changes. Yeah, okay. Yeah. So our peak rate for residential homes is two dollars a cubic meter, and that adds up, right? So even wealthy people don't like spending. You know, they don't like getting a three or four thousand dollar water bill after two months. So that is really effective. So okay, we we, we haven't had to we haven't had to use the stick. Yeah. Um. For for properties around that sort of thing. Yeah, it's just good for us to know. People people like to know there's uh you know the the rule followers are um, like to know there's there's penalties if if somebody is not a rule follower. So that's that's good to hear. So we've talked a lot about climate change on on uh, past podcasts, and I don't think citizens consider that these floods, fires, and extreme weather events affect the city significantly from a budget perspective. We've talked a little bit about that. Uh, you get a bird's eye view on our whole utility system. Uh, what are your thoughts around climate change going forward and uh, the challenge? As we as we look to the future of Kelowna, well, some of the when it comes to water and and water supply, we've got two main challenges. The water models predict that we actually get wetter over time, right? So we will have more water fall between January first and December thirty first in the city of Kelowna and in our watersheds. Unfortunately, more of it will fall as rain. So our first challenge is we've historically our systems have all relied on that storage in the upper watersheds being snow right? And slowly releasing to the lake. So we can expect more flash flooding events on a water supply. Challenges in storing that water, right? Especially in the upper watersheds, because a lot of our water systems rely on that water from from the upper watersheds. Flash floods, like we saw on June 14th, where we weren't expecting, you know, the massive amount of rain that happened in the, in the upper watershed and the impact on Mission Creek. So in the spring and the winter, we've got that challenge. 
And then in the summer, we're going to have hotter, drier summers, more heat domes, more hot, more, you know, a, a longer period of time where we get really hot. And that increases the supply and the demand. So that's the second challenge, right? Is, is can we not have the demand go up so high by reducing the types of plants we have, having more resilient plants that can handle that kind of heat and don't need huge amounts of water because we're going to struggle to supply a lot more water in that hot, hot period if we struggle to store it in the, in the winter. So we have some big investment decisions and discussions going to happen, you know, over time here. And that's, you know, we, we need to be able to adapt to that and our systems have not been built for it. They've been built for the last hundred years status quo. Lots of snow in the mountains, uh, comes down in an ACZ, calm, freshette in the spring. And, it doesn't uh, always happen. And, yeah. and we're starting to see that happen less and less and it being a little bit more chaotic. Right. Yeah. I, I, you know, I hope it's part of more of a normalized conversation around, uh, around our dinner tables. And, uh, I think the heat dome last year certainly increased the conversation around, uh, climate change in our house, increased our conversation about, about water and drought. And, uh, you know, even in our personal yard, we lost certain plant materials that just could not handle that sustained heat. And, that becomes pretty obvious. So we're not going to go uh, and take out a dead plant that couldn't handle it and put the same one in. You know, we'll have to look at our personal garden and see how do we adapt and how do we modify and how do we address uh, these events that will unfortunately probably be a little bit more um, regular than they have been. Yeah, one of the things I think I'm considering and we need to consider collectively is, um, as you say, doing it a little bit at a time. Right. It's one, th it's, it's not an easy thing to say, okay, I'm going to rip up my whole front yard and put in a Xeriscape. Yeah, not everybody right? can afford to do that. Either. Exactly. Yeah, right. Yeah. It's a, it's a huge, um, expense, but as certain plants die or think about, you know, that build back better, right. Mm -hmm. what, what am I going to put in its place? Can I put in, um, plantings or maybe modify little small sections of my yard every year and make them a little bit, um, more Xeriscape, more resilient to those hot, dry summers that we're going to have. Yeah, it's something we have to think about. I, I, but who doesn't love the smell of the early morning irrigation system on a lawn? <laughs> so <laughs> that's the that's the change we have to make. And I'm only laughing because I'm thinking of myself. It's uh, it's the irony of of what we have to do and and uh, and where where we need to go as a as a as a community as a city. We're coming to the end of our time. We wanted to purposely focus on water because it's such a relevant topic in in in, in our the fact that it's July and it's hot out and we're using lots of irrigation. But you're also responsible for wastewater and landfill and so on. Is there anything else that you wanted to share with the listeners on either wastewater or landfill and hot topics that uh, needed to uh, need for us to uh, know a little bit more about? Well, just keeping with the theme of water, you know, I think in many ways it's kind of magic to people, right? You open the tap, there it is. Yeah. It's, it's, yeah. it's reliable. Yeah. Um, wastewater as well, right? And and you open the tap, you run it, it goes down the drain and, you, and you're confident that it's going to be dealt with somewhere um, yeah. safely, safely and, and environmentally. Yeah. That takes a lot of resources. It takes a lot of staff. It takes a lot of energy, right? Electricity to move the water around. All of our water, all of our drinking water from the colonial utilities pumped, right? So some of the water reaching some homes has gone through three or four pump stations before it gets there. So keep that in mind that it, it is a precious resource, it takes a ton of resources to get to your home, to be there when you need it um, and treat it as a, as a precious resource because it really is. Well, that's, I think, a good place for us to rest and, 
and conclude this podcast. Uh, it's a precious resource, and we appreciate that we have people like you at the city taking care of that and uh, stewarding our vision and uh, putting the right tools in place and the right policies in place to make sure that we all have uh, fresh, clean water coming out of our taps and for our, for our corporate and personal uses. So. Thank you, Kevin. Uh, thank you to you and your team. And, uh, and it's been a pleasure having you today. And glad you showed up and uh, had the chat about water. Thank you, Bob. Okay. Thank you. Thank you for listening to this episode of Kelowna Talks. For more conversations about topics that matter in your community, subscribe on Spotify and Apple Podcasts. If you liked what you heard, give us a five-star rating and review and share Kelowna Talks with your friends and neighbors. For more information about this podcast and other big community conversations, visit Kelowna.ca slash community stories.